we hear the word fasting and people just, if, if they're not familiar with the idea, they're like, oh, that sounds really hard. <laughs> but intermittent fasting is not like that at all. I eat every single day and I follow what is known as an eating window approach or time-restricted eating. It's just that we we take a period of the day where we're going to concentrate all of our eating in that period of the day. It can be anywhere from an hour to eight hours, you know, depending on what feels right to you. I mean, or even 12 hours, right? You are all technically fasting when we're asleep. Um, the difference is that if you're an intermittent faster, you intentionally wake up in the morning and extend your overnight fast longer into the day. Many people open their eating window with lunch instead of breakfast, just delaying the start to, to eating for the day. Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Today on the Gut Health Reset Podcast, we are talking about intermittent fasting and the gut. We're going to explain intermittent fasting. We are going to talk about the clean fast schedulings with intermittent fasting and how this all is going to affect the gut. Also, how it affects your gut microbiome and how it changes your gut microbiome with fasting. Some of the gut issues that we can improve with intermittent fasting. Also, intermittent fasting to help reduce belly fat, weight loss, and then with women, how you cycle and in different eating schedules you'll need throughout your cycle. And we're also going to touch on fatty liver and intermittent fasting. Thank you so much for being here today on the Gut Health Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and I have a returning guest today who was so lovely the first time I had her on the podcast. I just wanted to go through and talk a little bit more about gut with her and intermittent fasting. She's an intermittent fasting expert and her name is Jen Stevens. And she is the author of the New York times and us today, bestseller fast feast repeat published by St. Martin's press and delay. Don't deny living an intermittent fasting lifestyle an Amazon number one bestseller in the weight loss category. Jen has been living the intermittent fasting lifestyle since 2014. This lifestyle shift allowed her to lose over 80 pounds and launch her intermittent fasting website four Facebook support groups and four self-published groups and two top ranked podcasts, intermittent fasting stories and the training intermittent fasting podcast with co-host Melanie Avalon. Jen graduated from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition Health Coach training program in 2019. She earned her doctor of education degree in gifted and talented education in 2009, master's degree in natural sciences in 1997, and a bachelor's degree in elementary education in 1990. She taught elementary school for 28 years, has worked with adult learners in a number of settings, and she splits her time between Georgia and South Carolina, where she lives with her husband and their four cats. Well, Jen, it is so great to have you back on the podcast. Um, the last episode that we did was awesome. So informative. I think the listeners got a lot out of it. So I'm just so happy to have you back. 
Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be back and I will talk about fasting all day and all night. In fact, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's start with the basics. You know, okay. what, so first off, um, let's go ahead and explain intermittent fasting. Okay. Intermittent fasting. Um, you know, we hear the word fasting and people just, if, if they're not familiar with the idea, they're like, Oh, that sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, cause you think of, you know, like Jesus in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and <laughs> that sort of thing. But intermittent fasting is not like that at all. I eat every single day <laughs> and, um, I follow what is known as an eating window approach or, time-restricted eating, depending on, you know, whether you're looking at the scientific community or just in general lingo, but basically it's just that we, we take a period of the day where we're going to concentrate all of our eating in that period of the day. Um, it can be anywhere from an hour to eight hours, you know, depending on what feels right to you. I mean, or even 12 hours, right? You are all technically fasting when we're asleep. Um, the difference is that if you're an intermittent faster, you intentionally wake up in the morning and extend your overnight fast longer into the day. Many people open their eating window with lunch instead of breakfast, just delaying the start to, to eating for the day, or perhaps, you know, even a little bit later in the afternoon, depending on, on your schedule and what you're doing. It's just a, a remarkably um, flexible way to live where you are just getting more in tune with your body and, and eating in a way that, that makes you feel so energetic. And it, it sounds crazy because, you know, we've always been taught that, you know, you got to eat a good breakfast to have energy for the day. But how many of us have the, eaten a good breakfast and then felt immediately tired, you know, had that slump after, after the, the big meal. So um, intermittent fasting is just a really amazing way to live where you're just, you're giving your body that time for the, the fast, the, the digestive rest, which is good for so many things, including your gut, which I know we'll talk about. And um, then you know, you have your, your feasting window, your eating window and your, your fasting time. That's such a great way to explain it and just give it such a easy breezy overview overview of it. So there's been some debate about, you know, coffee, no coffee, tea, right. no tea, creamer, I'm fasting, I'm not fasting. So what is clean fasting considered and is it okay to have coffee or tea um while intermittent fasting? Yes, for the coffee and tea. <laughs> as far as the clean fast goes, um, I came up with the, the terminology clean fast in, gosh, was it 2017, perhaps? I had some very large Facebook support groups that that grew up over time. And so we, you know, we had a, you know, we we had um a way of fasting. And then we decided, let's just call it the clean fast. Cause that just seemed, it seemed, you know, where it's or when our bodies are having the self-cleaning time going on. So let's call it the clean fast. So um, there are three goals that you want to experience while fasting. And that helped us, you know, create what the clean fast would look like, you know, so Goal number one, fasting goal number one, is we want to lower our levels of insulin. You know, after I read Dr. Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code, in 2016, that really changed my understanding of everything related to fasting. Because, you know, I started fasting, really, I started dabbling in it in 2009. And, you know, the only thing we thought of was fasting allowed you to lower the number of calories you were eating. That's what we thought. <laughs> There's really so much more to it. But then when I read The Obesity Code, 
um, in 2016, Dr. Fung talks about the role of insulin in our really more than just our weight and our health in general, having chronic high levels of insulin all the time is actually connected to so many metabolic issues. Um, so many health issues that are, are just prevalent in, in today's society. So he explained that we want to keep our insulin low and fasting is a great way to do that. So what makes our body release insulin? Well, eating. So obviously we would not eat while we were fasting, but whenever you taste something or put something into your body that your brain perceives is going to be food or I'm going to have like a glucose load, for example, like let's imagine you're having a diet soda. We've all been trained to think that, you know, calories in calories out. So a diet soda would be perfect if you're trying to lose weight, right? Well, it's got artificial sweeteners and besides being really harmful for the gut, which I'm sure you know about, um, it also, our brain tastes the, you know, the sweetness from our tongue, that input comes in. We have a cephalic phase insulin response because our brains don't understand that sweetness could have zero calories because in nature, Every food that's sweet in nature comes with a glycemic hit, like it's going to be honey or it's going to be fruit or it's going to be something like that, something sugar. So our brain has not, you know, kept up with the times and understanding, oh, that's just a diet soda at zero calories. We do not need to manage blood glucose. Our blood glucose is not going to go up from this. So our bodies kick out insulin to deal with blood glucose that never goes up. So we get in this state of insulin going up, but we don't even really need it. But we end up with chronic hyperinsulinemia and high levels of insulin keep our bodies from tapping into fat stores effectively. So we want to keep our insulin down. Low level of levels of insulin mean we can actually tap into fat stores well. So and um, insulin is anti-lipolytic, mean it's meaning it's anti-fat burning. So during the clean fast, we want to keep insulin low. We don't want to take in anything that our bodies are going to think our brain is going to think food's coming in. So avoid anything sweet, even if it's zero calories, don't put fruity flavors in your water, like even a lemon wedge, you know, you, your brain is going to perceive that the food is coming in. Um, so avoid anything like that. That's fasting goal. Number one. So fasting goal number two is we want to tap into our stored fat for fuel. We don't want to store more fat during a fast. We want to tap into stored fat. So when you add things that contain fat into like, let's say into your coffee cup, you're putting in some MCT oil or butter or cream or something, um, you know, you, you might think there's going to be a zero insulin response from fat and there may or may not be as much of an insulin response, but you, you could have some insulin response as well but more so you're taking in a lot of fat. And, you know, if your body is taking in a lot of fat, you're not going to tap into fat stores for fuel. So we want to avoid taking in any outside source of energy because your body's going to go to that instead of tapping into your fat stores. And then the third fasting goal is we want to have increased autophagy and autophagy first came on the scene to most of us lay people in 2016, when the Nobel prize for medicine um, was awarded to a researcher who was studying autophagy and autophagy is basically our body's self-cleaning mechanism. Um, and it actually is upregulated during fasting. See, when we're taking that pause from eating, our body can scavenge around and, you know, recycle old junky proteins or old cell parts or take care of pathogens, that sort of thing. Cause we're not, you know, constantly digesting. So autophagy goes up. Well, what stops autophagy eating and protein. So you don't want to take in anything that's a source of protein 
during the fast, like for example, bone broth, you know, people talk about bone broth fasts and it's really not fasting if you're taking in, you know, a source of, of nutrients or protein for the body. So we want to keep our insulin low. We want to avoid taking in fat and we also want to avoid taking in protein. So what does that leave us? Well, we can have plain water. We can have sparkling water. I've got mine right now. I've got some Perrier mm-hmm. unflavored though. I don't get the lemon or the lime or the flavored. I just get the plain. Um, you can also have black coffee, plain tea, because those have a bitter flavor profile. A bitter flavor profile is not associated with insulin response in the body um, because it's not associated with, you know, we're going to, our blood sugar is going to go up. So we're going to need insulin. So that's why the black coffee, plain coffee, plain tea should be fine. When you start getting into like herbal teas, it gets a little more complicated because some herbal teas are sweet more so like, like a chamomile or something, whereas something like a Yerba Mate, I never know if I'm saying that one, right. (laughs) Something like a Yerba Mate has a bitter flavor profile. So that one is probably going to be all right. But once you really know how you feel during the clean fast, you will know if you accidentally ingest something that doesn't work for you. Um, Like I can remember going to Starbucks and having their nitro cold brew. And, you know, there is nothing added to the nitro cold brew that should break a fast, but So I'm like, well, I can have this. It's just, you know, it's just bubbly black coffee. Um, But, you know, I was in the Starbucks and I look at the shirts of the people that are working there. It's when it first came out and they're like creamy without cream, sweet without sweetener. Well, my brain agreed when I drank that nitro cold brew, my brain got the message that something was coming in that was going to have, you know, calories in it. Obviously it didn't, but um, I felt shaky and and not not great at all after having it so it broke it breaks my fast um even though there's nothing in it my brain was fooled into thinking it you know so my, i release insulin drops my blood sugar so that's one way that i i know if i accidentally break my fast my body releases insulin drops my blood sugar i feel shaky and i'm like well that was not a good thing for me to have yeah. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> really good examples here yeah. and, and good goals to have with intermittent right. fasting. Really well said. So w- I think one of the number one questions I get asked is what is the best approach for intermittent fasting? Should I do, you know, how many hours should I wait to eat? What should my eating window be? And so what, what do you think is the best approach for intermittent fasting? And, and that that's, I'm smiling because there is no best mm-hmm. you know, there is, there is no best. Everyone's got to find their sweet spot. And I'll go so far as to say your sweet spot can vary from day to day, you know, and it also depends when you say best, best for what, right. You know, my husband never needed to lose a pound. He's still, he's one of those people that was fitting into the pantsy war when we got married, we've been married for, um, you know, 30, over 30 years now, So, (laughs) but he never needed to lose weight, but he does intermittent fasting strictly for the health benefits. So the best window for him is one that will allow him to maintain his weight. So he does a 16, eight approach. So he fasts from dinner till lunch the next day. So he has lunch and then he has dinner and then he doesn't eat again until the next day at lunch. So that's a great window for him. Now, if you're trying to lose weight, you know, maybe 16, eight will work well for you, but it, it depends. You know, for me, 16, eight was not a weight loss window. I can eat a lot of food in eight hours. So for me, more of like a 19, five with a five, five hour eating window average, that doesn't mean that every day I'm exactly, you know, was having five hours. One day might be three. The next day might be five. One day might be four. One day I'm really busy. I have a one hour eating window. The next day I have a six hour eating window because I'm hungrier because I didn't eat as much yesterday. 
So it really evolves to be a very flexible lifestyle. And, you know, one really important concept is that we are very much a study of one. And so over time, you'll figure out what feels right to you. I mean, I know people who are, you know, one meal a day and done in a very short period of time. That's how they feel great. They get enough food in, they have a big appetite, they eat their meal, they're done. That would not be enough for me. Um, You know, I consider myself one meal a day, meaning I only mainly eat one. I don't eat breakfast. I don't eat lunch, but I do open my window in the afternoon, usually with a snack. Think of it like an appetizer. And then I'll have dinner later. So I think of my, my one meal a day is kind of like a multi-course meal that you would have at a restaurant. And it might span a period of time of like, you know, five hours. Um, So it, and it, it does vary from day to day. So there is no best. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well said. So the intermittent fasting, you talked about there being some gut benefits. And so what benefits have you seen with the gut um, for intermittent fasting? Well, I've got my notes. I'm going to look at my notes. You're going to see me referring to them because I, I am definitely an expert on the practical, you know, helping someone find their best intermittent fasting approach. And I'm also great at researching to find information, but I'm not a gut expert, but I was a teacher. I was um, an elementary teacher for 28 years. And I also taught at the college level teachers who are working on advanced degrees. I have a doctorate in gifted education. So I am great at redelivering content. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to redeliver some content about the gut. So um, there are actually some great studies on time-restricted feeding in mice, which is another word for you know, eating window. And they found that in the mice, fasting led to reduced gut permeability, which is huge. You know, gut permeability, leaky gut. We don't want that. We want to have a strong gut lining. So they found that for the mice. Also, it increased the diversity of the gut microbiome, which, which is big. We want to have a, a diverse and healthy gut microbiome. And so also... Um, it shifts the population of the gut microbiome to one that's more associated with leanness versus obesity. Because I'm sure you and your audience know, since you tackle the gut topic, that um, it, a lot of people who are overweight and obese are shifted to a certain type of gut population versus people who are naturally lean have another type. I remember the first time I learned that information. It was a long time ago. It was when I was really struggling with obesity. You know, I was obese. I weighed 210 pounds at at my heaviest that I ever saw on the scale. And I remember reading that about the gut and thinking it was all, it was something, an article on like fecal transplants or something, you know, where it's like, they just gave someone a fecal transplant. It changed them after changing their gut microbiome. And I'm like, could this be true? That it really, you know, depends depending on what lives in our gut could depend on whether we're you know, obese or lean. And so they found in the mice that um, their gut population shifted to one that was more um, leanness promoting. Now that's mice. Mice are not people, but they are, there are some studies in people as well, you know, Ramadan studies. Um, We have a lot of fasting research done because, you know, Ramadan is, is a religious fasting period. So we've got a good pool of subjects there. So they found um, an increase. It was 2019, an increase in 
healthy gut microbiome inhabitants during the Ramadan fasting. And we also have a couple of um, studies that have been done with longer fasts. Now, I am not an extended faster. I told you already, I like to eat every day. But there was a study that just came out in March of 2021 in Nature Communications. It was based with a a five-day fast. I'm going to read the title of the study because it's a good one. Um, It was Fasting Alters the Gut Microbiome, Reducing Blood Pressure and Body Weight in Metabolic Syndrome Patients. So I think that's huge. And they also had, you know, found a study from 2019 with a seven day fast where they found that it really helped the gut microbiome as well and changed the, the population down there. But basically our little gut bugs need period of digestive rest as well. Just like, you know, our cells need the digestive rest for autophagy and housekeeping. So do our gut bugs. They, they don't want to work around the clock digesting. They need to take some time to rest as well. Great summary of that. <laughs> Great summary. Um, so well said. You know, when you talked about the mice and like mm-hmm. gut bugs, etc., the study that makes me think of that was when they took um, overweight mice and they injected right. and they injected their microbiota into lean mice. They right. ended up becoming heavier and obese, which I think is just exactly what you, your take-home message is there. So, and yeah. you know, the one, the one with human, the, the human one, one anecdotal story was like, I'm sure you've probably heard it. The lady and someone in her family needed a transplant. Have you heard this one? No, it was like a member of the family and they gave her a, a fecal transplant to, for some sort of whatever it is that they give them for. I can't remember the name of the disease that it helps. C. diff, C. diff, C. diff, yeah, yeah. But, that's what it is. But they, they transplanted the, the fecal material from one member of the family to another. And then the person who had never struggled with their weight, he was the recipient all of a sudden started having trouble. And, and so we, we've seen it in humans as well, not just in the mice. Mm-hmm. So well yeah, then there's that whole, like, is this just going to be the future? We're just going to transplant, but no, <laughs> not yet, but we, we can change our gut microbiome in so many ways. Word is to become a fecal transplant like donor. It's harder to get into than Harvard Medical School. Really? <laughs> yeah, I believe it because we all got some, you know, funkiness going on here and there. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. You do not want everybody's no. stool for sure. So many people struggle with bloating, bowel issues, brain fog, fatigue. You might not even have any gut issues. But did you know the cause of it could be food sensitivities or gut infections? What I have done is I have brought a talented functional nutritionist into my practice. We have very similar training in the nutritional world. And her name is Alexis Appleberry. She is awesome. So you can head on over to our website, alt-alt-fam-fam-med-med. And have a consultation with her and schedule so that she can help you get to the root cause of your problems. So <laughs> I want to I want to pop back over because I really think you summed up so many of the gut issues that we see and and see intermittent fasting help with. One thing I want to touch on, I think one of the biggest things that folks struggle with is belly fat. And, um, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that people are so frustrated with, especially women, when they get into that menopause, perimenopause range. And so 
What do you see intermittent fasting do with belly fat? That's a great question. I'm 52. I've been through menopause. I'm on the other side now. So, um, you know, I went through menopause and I'm still wearing my same clothes that I wore before menopause. So ladies, we are not destined to gain weight and get heavier and heavier and heavier as we get older. We're not. Intermittent fasting is an amazing way to target that visceral fat and the belly fat that we've got. Um, you know, I, I read some, some research when I was writing my book, fast feast repeat that actually said, you know, fasting targets that, that visceral fat in a way that, you know, other types of things may target that subcutaneous fat, but we really want to target that visceral fat. So, you know, my waist measurement is smaller now than it was when I was, you know, in my thirties, you know, and, um, when I was, I was leaner, in my thirties. And as I got bigger and bigger and bigger and became obese, obviously my waist was huge, but I had, I suddenly went from someone who was, um, you know, in my thirties, I was very much a pear shape. And then all of a sudden, as I continued to gain weight throughout my thirties into my forties, as I approached perimenopause, um, prior to really, you know, starting intermittent fasting for real in 2014, I dabbled from 09 to 14 and never really stuck. But over those years when I was getting bigger and bigger and, and finally moved into obesity, I was an apple. I had a really big belly and I can remember being in my car and like having to move my seat back and, you know, not having room between myself and the, the steering wheel. And so um, with intermittent fasting, I lost over 80 pounds and, it really, you know, my, my waist is 27 inches now. And so it, it targeted my belly fat. And I really think the clean fast is important for that because you want your body to have that period of time where it's got nothing to do, but tap into those fat stores. You know, I've got a friend, um, she's a moderator in my community. We've, we met through the community, but now I consider her to be a friend, but she, um, was suffering from fatty liver disease and she had a fatty liver and she started intermittent fasting. And for months, she didn't lose any weight at all. Lost zero pounds on the scale. But she went back to the doctor. Her fatty liver had cleared up. So her body was, was tapping into her fat stores right there in her liver. And, you know, clearing out a fatty liver is one of the, the best things you can do for your health. Because fatty liver is, is, you know, definitely not a good sign. So, yeah, I think intermittent fasting is definitely something that women should, should carry through menopause. I just interviewed Dr. Anna Kabeca. Do you know Dr. Mm -hmm. Kabeca? Yeah. She's been on the podcast for sure. I love her. Yeah. Like she's like, great. literally yesterday or the day before mm -hmm. I interviewed her mm -hmm. and um, she's an intermittent faster. And did you know she does intermittent fasting? You probably did. I didn't. I knew she was, she was keto green. Um, yeah. And, but I did not know she well, did her, IF. Her her other one, after the first one she did, it was like keto green 16 and the 16 is the fasting. Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. That's very cool. <laughs> but yeah, but she was talking about how when, when she's working with, you know, cause menopause is a big thing for her. We had her on our other podcast. I have life lessons podcast. I have a co-host, but we had her on a few months ago and we talked about, you know, the menopausal transition. So she's, you know, really well known for all, all of her hormonal work with women. But she said that really fasting is like, essential for women that are going through this transition, not just like, Oh, that it would be nice. But she said, it's really essential to, to keep your body healthy for women as we're going through these hormonal transitions. And I can just really attest to that because, you know, I mean, yeah, there were, there were things that went on during menopause, of course, but I really feel like fasting helped me make it as painless a transition as it could possibly be. 
I, I think that was really well said. I mean, thank you. I feel like what you said was not only about the weight loss, but also right. about the overall health benefits when you hit on the fatty liver and that sometimes you're not going to notice this immediate weight loss right. that's happening here because your body's busy doing and cleaning up other things as you give it the tools that it needs to basically clean up, say, fatty liver. So yet you're not losing weight. But I think one of the most frustrating things uh, for women is going through that transition and watching the pounds pack yeah. on like they didn't have before. Right. And yes. you would agree. And I'm sure you see that in your community all right. the time. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, we do see people who, you know, maybe started intermittent fasting and they were having success and then their body goes through these hormonal changes and all of a sudden the weight loss stops and they may have no weight loss, you know, over the rest of the menopausal transition then they get to the other side and maybe the weight loss picks back up again. And so a lot of them get really frustrated. They're like, why have I I've been on this plateau? And when you consider that most women really do gain weight throughout menopause, having a, a plateau instead is actually a positive. Definitely. <laughs> you just have to be patient with your body as it changes because it's, it's doing a new thing. And then on the other side, you know, you've got to work with your body in a different way because the body you have after the menopausal transition is different from the body you had before. And you had like, for example, I don't tolerate wine as well as I used to darn it. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> I love wine. I love wine, but I don't sleep very well now. And, and that really started being a problem as I went through the transition. And so you've got to decide, you know, am I going to be zero wine for the rest of my life? No, but I don't have a glass of wine every night with dinner anymore because sleep is something I prioritize. And, and that was something as my body changed hormonally, you know, I had to change with it. And instead of being mad, I'm just like, well, okay, that's just what I'm going to do. <laughs> just roll with that. But you uh, have to, yeah. you, do. you do. Do you think, do the same rules apply for intermittent fasting for women going through the transition with the fasting schedule that you spoke of earlier? As far as just finding the fasting schedule that feels right to you, mm -hmm. yes, really. And it, it just really depends on so many personal factors. Like, for example, someone who you know, does CrossFit every day is going to need a different eating window than someone like me who's jumping on my rebounder and standing on my vibration plate. And that's all I'm doing, right? And just living my life. You know, you, you're going to need to fuel your body more if you're doing intense workouts. And what we do know is that women's bodies don't respond well to over-restriction and over-restriction can look like restricting what you're eating, not eating enough. Also, it can look like overworking out. So we just have to be careful. Whatever we're doing is not overly restrictive for our own bodies. And, and it's going to look different for everybody. And what have you seen with over-restriction? You said it's not, you, we've seen that it's not good for women. What right. uh, rebound effect do you see? Well, we, we know that it's not good um, just in general. And we, we see it through the paradigm of just even just regular diets, like low calorie diets, you know, that women have been doing forever. We know that if women over-restrict through the low calorie diet paradigm, you know, they'll lose their periods. They have hormonal effects that are negative. Well, the same with fasting, if you overdo it, but Sometimes people just assume that fasting is restrictive and that we're going to have all these hormonal problems as women, but that is not a good assumption because I certainly do not practice intermittent fasting with an overly restrictive eating window. You know, my book is not called fast diet repeat. It's called fast feast repeat. I nourish my body well during my eating window 
and I do not, you know, over restrict in my eating window. I make sure I'm getting the nutrients that I need. And I really listen to my body. Like I know when I haven't had enough to eat. Um, and like the next day I'll be extra hungry and I'll have a longer window. You learn how to tune into that. You know, we don't push through feelings of, oh gosh, I didn't eat enough. You, you eat, you know, you, you really learn to listen to your body over time. Um, cause our bodies are, are designed with these feedbacks to let us know. I mean, a baby doesn't overeat a baby doesn't undereat. a baby knows how much to eat. And it's only when we start, you know, teaching the baby, no, now we're going to eat three meals a day and we're going to eat on a schedule and you're going to clean your plate to make mommy happy. Then we start learning to ignore our, our hunger and satiety cues. And that's when everyone gets disconnected from it and then just starts to eat for different reasons. You know, as you start learning to reconnect with your hunger and satiety cues and fasting is great for that, you really start to trust your body and to know, gosh, I'm extra hungry today. Why am I extra hungry? Oh, maybe it's that time in your monthly cycle and your, your body's sending you, you know, eat some more food today messages and you listen to those. Or maybe you had a really busy day yesterday and today you just need a longer window, but we can really trust our bodies to let us know. You know if you ever start feeling the urge to binge that gets worse over time, that's a sign. You know, we, we know that from um, starvation experiments, like the Minnesota starvation experiment that they did way back in the day um, around the time of World War II. We know that as people were, were starved, they started to, to binge as a result. Our bodies send us the signal of you better just get as much in as you can. So when anyone is doing any kind of eating approach, if you start getting an increased urge to binge, that's the sign you may be over-restricting. And then, you know, those of us that have tried so hard with dieting, we all know what that felt like when you were trying to do a low calorie diet day after day after day, you know, maybe 1200 calories because we were told that's what we were supposed to do. And then, you know, by about week two, you're like, find yourself just binging. And you're like, why am I so weak? What's wrong with me? Well, it's just your body saying, you know, not enough is coming in. Um, one caveat I want to give with, with fasting is during the adjustment period, when you're first, your body's first adjusting to intermittent fasting, you may feel at the very beginning for the first month, the, the increased overeating during your eating window, because your body hasn't learned to tap into your fat stores for fuel yet. So all day long, you're fasting. Your body is not great at tapping into your fat stores. You're not well fueled during the fast. Your eating window opens, you're starving, you're eating everything in sight. Once your body adjusts to fasting, though, that settles down. So while you're fasting, your body does learn to tap into your fat stores. You know, those calories count as well. You know, you're, you're fueling your body during the fast from your fat stores. Then you open your eating window and you have um, what we call appetite correction, meaning your body is calm because it's been well fueled during the fast and you lose that signal to binge or to overeat. But then over time, as you continue to live an intermittent fasting lifestyle, if the urge to binge starts coming back, that's the sign that, that you may be over-restricting. I just said a lot of stuff. So you did. It's great. It's great. You said one thing that I, I, I kind of want to just um, touch on really quick. Okay. You, you talked about women in their cycles a little bit yeah. and, um, you know, if they're feeling a little hungrier at certain times of the month, do you find that, um, that fasting windows should change based on a woman's cycle? Well, it's not, not that they should, it's just that they naturally do. Right. I can remember, um, before I went through menopause, I, um, 
I had this, this tracker. I was like on this app tracking my period from 2012. So you can ask me what happened on any day between 2012 and really today. And I can go back on my app and tell you like how long every single, I, I tracked it religiously. And so um, I remember before, you know, before when I was um, in 2014, when I was just really starting with intermittent fasting and it was becoming my lifestyle, I can remember having days when I would be like, gosh, why am I so hungry? Why is the fast so hard today? And that was always like the day before my period started. Like every month, literally, I was surprised by it, right? Every month I was like, why am I so hungry? And then the next day I go. <laughs> so I just, I always listened to my body. And it, is it because, you know, I, I had to, my body told me you need to eat some more food today. It's just natural. I think it's really important that women know that that's normal. Right. And that, and, and you made some great points in kind of the last um, part that you said where, you know, the, the calorie restriction, what's wrong with me? I can't do this. Yeah. You know, there's something wrong with me. Why don't I have more self-control? I feel like as women, we need to listen a little bit more to our bodies and just be okay with what happens versus beating ourselves up. We need to be really careful of that. It's hard to fight your body, right? Mm -hmm. We've got powerful biological urges that are there to keep us alive. Right. And so our body is going to fight us if we're fighting our bodies. And so we really have to learn to trust our body and work as a team. And you can trust that you're hungrier and you don't have to feel like that something's wrong with you. And when you finally start to trust, Oh, I'm hungrier today that's a real thing. And I can eat it and I don't have to feel guilty for eating this, this meal or eating two meals today or three meals today or whatever my body needs. Absolutely. And what mistakes do people make with intermittent fasting that can sabotage their progress and like, dang it, dang it. Why aren't I losing weight or what, why can't I lose this belly fat or what, what things do we need to watch for? Well, first of all, for people who have tried intermittent fasting before, perhaps and didn't have great results, I would bet 90% of the time they were not fasting clean or maybe even more than 90% of the time. You know, if you go research on YouTube or Google or look around, you're going to find an, an opinion to support whatever you want to do. You want to drink cream in your coffee. You can find 10 people who tell you it is fine to drink cream in your coffee, right? You want to have a diet soda. You can find 10 people, a hundred people who are going to tell you you know, to have that during the fast. So if you do all those things and you're having a hard time with fasting, go back to the clean fast. Cause I promise it makes a difference that that's really the number one thing I think that makes a difference for people. So when anyone tells me, well, I tried fasting and it just didn't work. I'll say, what were you drinking? They'll be like, well, I would have, you know, Powerade zero. And then I would put two tablespoons of cream in my coffee. Cause I heard that was okay. Then yeah, and we're like, no. <laughs> so in fast feast repeat, I have something called the clean fast challenge. So for people who are like, no, I read all that and I heard it's okay. And I really just don't believe you, Jen. I want you to take the clean fast challenge and give yourself a month of fasting clean. And then you will become a believer because you'll feel so different. You know, before I read the obesity code, I was putting stevia and cinnamon in my coffee um, because it was zero calorie and it was a surely a delicious cup of coffee. And <laughs> I white knuckled it every single day. It was really hard to fast. I got to my eating window and then I was starving every day. And I really wasn't tapping into my fat stores as well as I could. As soon as I read the obesity code, pitched a little fit, took the stevia out of my coffee, stopped with the cinnamon, 
all of a sudden fasting became easier. And then I'm like, okay, I can do this forever now. So it made all the difference in the world. And so I think, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people can make is not fasting clean. Um, another one is by being too rigid. If you're too rigid, then you can really, um, you know, you know, like shoot yourself in the foot with that because it, it's hard to live a overly rigid lifestyle on the flip side, being too loosey goosey can also be a problem because you know, you're trying to let your body adapt to fasting and some things have to, to happen. And so if you don't give your body time to adjust, it's going to be harder. Like when I was dabbling in fasting from 2009 to 2014, I never did it long enough in a row for my body to adapt. So I was basically always in the adjustment period. And I never got into that period where I'm tapping into my fat stores efficiently and feeling good. So being too strict or not being, you know, not letting your body adjust and being too loosey goosey can, can also be a problem. So you need to find that happy medium where you're having, you know, period of the day where you're tapping into your fat stores, but then also being flexible enough and learning to listen to your body. And what would you say to the naysayers about intermittent fasting? (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. It depends on what they're naying, right? (laughs) And and I would have a different answer depending on what their, um, what their problems with it were. But, you know, I'm somebody, I'm 52 years old and I was on that diet roller coaster for so long. So, I mean, you can tell me whatever you want to tell me, you know, in the world about it, but I know that nothing worked for me. And hundreds and thousands of other of other people that I've talked to, you know, today I recorded episode 180 something of intermittent fasting stories. And, um, you know, I talked to an intermittent faster every week and we all can tell you we tried everything and this is the thing. And and this is the thing that allowed us to reach our goal weight for the first time ever and maintain it. This is the thing that reversed, you know, whatever I've talked to people with Crohn's disease who have reversed it or you no know, longer suffer from the problems. And People with type two diabetes who are no longer, you know, considered you know, their, their markers are no longer in line with being type two diabetic. And, um, I mean, you can naysay all you want, but people are having amazing results. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to criticize something you haven't lived, but once you've lived it, the people who live an intermittent fasting lifestyle become the biggest evangelists for it because they know how great they feel and, and, and will never stop doing it. And so, you know, I I think the criticism comes from a place of maybe fear because it sounds really hard or just ignorance or you're not understanding really, you know, I like to call intermittent fasting, the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. It's no longer all about weight for me. Obviously when I was obese, that was a huge motivator. Right. And we didn't even know all the health benefits back then. Um, We didn't know, but the more that we're learning the more we're realizing this is a very healthy way to live. And I really think, um, you know, with, with very few um, on the list of people who shouldn't do it, I think it's something that most adults should do. Obviously children should not do intermittent fasting. They're still growing, you know, while your body is growing and developing through adolescence, you want to fuel yourself differently. But once you're an adult, um, you know, if you're not, not pregnant, pregnant women should not do it. Breastfeeding mothers should not do it for a wide variety of reasons, not just, you know, milk supply, but there's, a, I could go into that for a, lot, a long time as well. But unless you're pregnant breastfeeding or have some kind of other, you know, contraindication, it's a really healthy way for, for an adult to live. That's great. So we yeah. have covered today. 
a lot of things. We have covered a lot of different things in a short amount of time. We've covered the <laughs> basics of intermittent fasting, how to do it, fasting schedules. We have covered its benefits for gut health and how it diversifies the, the microbiome and um, also will help reduce, you know, some chronic diseases. Potentially you had some examples of that. We've talked about it for women and some of the scheduling with cycling as well. And just you know, what you have seen with amazing stories. Is there anything that we miss that's really important to mention before we, we sign off? Well, we didn't talk about food at all. <laughs> food is of course a big, a big piece of the puzzle. And you know, the, the older I've gotten and the better I have felt, the more I've gravitated towards eating whole foods and real foods and not eliminating, you know, ultra processed foods, hundred percent, but just, you know, the, the higher quality foods I eat, the better I feel. So that's an important piece of the puzzle. Most intermittent fasters find that over time, they naturally gravitate towards more nutritious foods, which is just, you know, the better you feel, the better you want to eat, the better you want to eat, the better you feel. And it just keeps going like that. So I consider myself to be cleanish. I have actually a new book coming out January um, called cleanish, eat mostly clean, live mainly clean and unlock your body's natural ability to self-clean and a little piece of that self-cleaning is fasting, but it's not a fasting book. But it's really important to feed ourselves well and our gut microbiomes because they need the nutritious foods. You know, you're, you're not going to be your best self if you're fasting and then eating ultra processed foods. Absolutely. Completely not, good. you know. Yeah. That's a I'm great point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you definitely can't be feeding your body tons of junk and expect all of the benefits. So I think that right. that's a great important adjunct. Yeah. Very good. Well, it is always a pleasure to see you and, um, just thank you so much for being on and just sharing your amazing knowledge today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the gut health reset podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review. So more people can hear about the podcast and Hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit drannemariebarter.com.